and welcome to the Recruitment Marketing Podcast. My name is Victoria Rush. Here, I'll be talking to marketing leaders in the recruitment industry, discussing their careers in recruitment, passions for marketing, and the challenges and successes they have faced along the way. My aim for this podcast is to share the opinions and insights of a variety of experts from across the recruitment marketing landscape. I'll be discussing their experiences and learns while building recruitment brands around the world. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Recruitment Marketing Podcast. This week I'm joined by Stan, Chief Commercial Officer at Recruited. If you don't know him, you really should check him out on LinkedIn. He's an all-round recruitment marketing expert and probably knows everybody in the industry at this point. Thanks for joining us. Glad I could join. Happy to be here. Can you kick off for us, tell everybody a bit about who you are um, and what it is that you do? Yeah, so uh, the intro already shared my name. Or a piece of it anyway. Yeah, a piece of it. I still don't know how to pronounce my last name in English really. So if anyone has any suggestions, if you go to my profile, you can send me a voice message or something, that'd be great. The best option. Exactly. We'll, we'll send you a prize. Yeah, exactly. A prize recruited yet to be determined. t-shirt. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, you can get a recruited t-shirt for sure. No worries. So um, like many, many of us, I fell into recruitment approximately 14 years ago after quitting school and doing door-to-door sales for a while. Brilliant, yeah. Yeah. At the company I joined then, that was a major corporate. I got a lucky shot. I found out there was an opportunity to grow uh, the international recruitment department by actually implementing a sales process there that was non-existent. It was very reactive. And the timing was right because uh, at that point, we were in a different economy where there was a lot of scarcity and not enough people to either um, want to do certain jobs or have the skill sets to do certain jobs in Holland, where I'm from. So yeah, I, I've helped that department scale a lot. Um, summer, d- during the course of that time, I found out that the people that we were placing were slowly but surely being replaced by robots. And the processes I was selling to um, place those people at our respective customers were being replaced by algorithms. And that's why I told our CEO I was reporting to at the time that I needed to get back to the front of the train. You know, I was, I was in the back of the train and I, I, I told her, unless you help me get to the front, yeah, I have to go and look somewhere else. Uh, they didn't want that. So at that point, uh, they let me do something that um, they called intrapreneuring. So they gave me all the assets, you know, they facilitated me to, to really uh, do everything an entrepreneur would do, but within the corporate space. So I got my own office outside of the office, my own consultants. I was sent on a bunch of cool courses around hip new business development methods like um, Alexander Osterwalder's value proposition design, business model canvassing, lean startup, uh, user story mapping, uh, a, lot, a lot of really, really exciting stuff. Just to play around and try and break the old school um, recruitment agency model down and, and build it up from scratch. And I built up a really, really interesting uh, idea of combining employer branding, RPO type of solutions, uh, recruitment technology and onboarding technology, assessment technology into one cohesive tech talent delivery service um, that I then presented. But that also brought me on the radar of another company. This was at USG, a subsidiary called called Unique. Uh, This brought me on the radar with a recruiter at Vonk, one of Europe's leading recruitment marketing agencies uh, who pretty much poached me. So on the day I presented my plan, Literally on the same day, I signed my contract a few hours later with Vonk. Brilliant. They were pleased. I have to say, uh, it was Luz Dingemans at that point, who was the director there. And, uh, she, she took it amazingly well. She, she literally just, just hugged me and said, you know, she told me I knew, I knew we could keep you. 
much like she knew where, where this was going, and and that you know they they were an awesome organization. They still are, but that time they were still moving quite slowly. It was a three and a half thousand you know conglomerate, and I was just ready to step into a scale up, which was Vonk. And when I came in, that was number fifty nine. I think there's over one hundred fifty plus right now, and you know the change that company made in the three years, almost three years, three, two and a half years I was there was just um, incredible, um, really manifesting itself as one of the go-to destinations for anything recruitment marketing, especially uh, distribution-wise, so employer branding campaigns and job advertisement, I would highly, highly recommend to catch up with these guys and see what they do, if you don't know yet. And then during my last year at Vonk, uh, my role was focused on uh, penetrating the UK market, and that's how I came uh, onto the radar of our current CEO, Antonio, who, who at that time, when he, when he, I think he first saw me, was Nine months ago in an event, True London, shout out to Bill Borman for organizing these meetups. And, you know, that's, that's how a lot of us, of us meet still. 10 year anniversary coming up, also recommend anyone that can to head over there. We started chatting, I was already uh, with, with one foot out of uh, Vonk, um, just not seeing eye to eye on, on uh, some things. And um, yeah, an opportunity arose to, to, to help him set up the whole marketing and sales function here because um, yeah, uh, recruited, scaled incredibly fast in, in, in just two years with global operations ranging from Manila, India, Europe, the United States, helping massive brands like, like, like Apple and Goldman Sachs and Verizon and uh, Vanquist and Infosys uh, deliver talent in some of the hardest markets in the world like uh, Palo Alto, uh, Riley, Connecticut, places all over the world. And, and, and that was really organic. That was just two founders. And my role here right now is, is, is in a nutshell to help that scale so we've been working hard on you know reviewing our value proposition rolling out some new things and uh, yeah without getting too pitchy i think uh, over the last uh, three months that i've been with the business we rolled something pretty rolled something pretty spectacular called social source that again anyone that'd like to learn more about that i'm uh, more than happy Hit to share yeah, yeah absolutely sure. and that's what i actually really want to talk about is you have been aware of the benefits of marketing from a, like obviously you've sold that concept into clients, but you, you're aware of the benefit internally as well, which not a lot of salespeople, especially in the recruitment space, are really kind of catching on to yet, or maybe starting to think about it. Why, when and how did you see that marketing was really a strength for you rather than a support function? Yeah, that's a really good question. One that I've been thinking about a lot, because the way I fell into recruitment was in a very traditional model. At that point already, having a big company, I already started to learning about how you can leverage assets, how you can invest your current workforce more effectively to scale your um, the business. But from a recruitment perspective, it'll be how you can how you can hire more effectively. And during the course of the time, I've witnessed you know the world go online. And being a millennial, uh, if you, if you go back a bit further, you know we were in the same boat here. We've witnessed you know, smartphones come into play. You know, mm. I'm not sure how many people listening will remember modems and stuff. It it isn't even that you know long ago, right? And just the sheer scale which you can reach people these days and target people these days i think that's something that i was really um confronted with at vonk i really saw that the power uh, the sheer power of harnessing online channels like google like social media like the various niche channels in the world but then another person that opened my eyes has been uh, dan kelsel he showed me the power of harnessing um, of leveraging you know per personal brands to build corporate brands on the back of those and I think that's that that's a major difference that's a major shift that happened in the market 
because it's so much easier to put to put a brand out there, whether it's corporate or personal, instead of in the old days when 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 people went to work at a major brand and then kind of became that and the identity, and oh that's that guy working at KPMG, oh that's that guy working at Lehman Brothers, right? Oh that 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 guy's an engineer at you know wherever. Right now, it seems that companies are slowly but surely becoming adopting the identities of the people working for them. Yeah, and I think uh, you know just what I've seen content-wise that there, there's an untapped, there's a major untapped potential there still. That's a huge shift in the market, isn't it? Instead of companies, the same, and I've said it before, LinkedIn have changed their algorithm. Companies aren't as important in your feed as individuals are. Influencers have been dropped. It is so much more important for us as individuals to be creating content, and our companies are then their brands are then reflected on who works for them rather than vice versa. So if we all worked for Nike, instead of us being part of Nike, Nike is part of us now. Um, like you say, Dan's obviously making huge waves in the recruitment industry in some respects, annoying some people and impressing others. Um, I know you're close friends with him, so won't say too much, but that's been a massive, a massive shift. And I spoke to Scott about that. So Scott is how we met. Yeah. Um, his podcast was out last week and he has done the same thing, come from a different industry right. and brought that concept in, showed recruitment that actually you can take the piss a little bit, mm. actually relax about what you're talking about. It doesn't have to be, hi, here's my job or here's what we sell. Here's a, here's a conversation starter and let's move forward that way. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's, a hu it's a huge shift in the industry for sure. Uh, uh, that, that, that's one of the things you know that, that I'm a huge advocate about as well, you know, to, to shift from an industry focused on applications to an industry focused on conversations. If, if you think about it, you know, ninety percent of the talent that we are trying to hire is is passive, and that goes across the board, right? It's, it's not just you know your, your software engineers anymore, or your uh, experienced salespeople, or your or business analysts. It's, it's actually also warehouse operators. You know, you, you know the companies like uh, you know, Amazon are just struggling, uh, having to increase pay, having to increase ad spend to get people in, but. Well, I think everyone benefit from uh, creating talent pipelines. That's why I get into uh, Adam Gordon's book, you know, but, but, but creating talent pipelines of, of engaged people and then being able to find out which ones are higher ready uh, or which ones aren't at this moment and not letting the, go, the ones that aren't go and forgetting all about them, but keeping the conversation going. If, we, if, if you would do that properly as a, as a company, <laughs> there's a lot of shout outs in this podcast, but that's when you get into Foresight's realm of reducing empty seats time to pretty much nothing. You know, if you could actually forecast your recruitment need a bit better and just be a bit less reactive and trying to get these applications quickly to convert them to hires as quickly as you can, just take the time to know what's coming up, build a pipeline of engaged people that, that you know will be ready to switch within a month's notice, max maybe, right? And then tap into that pool of, of passive talent. Yeah, you, you could significantly reduce... Um, empty seat time, but also stuff like, like, like cost per hire and, and focus way more on the business impact that the talent that you're bringing in is actually providing for you. Because coming from the world of marketing and sales, of recruitment products and services, you know, that, 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 that's where I came from. I rarely just look at my, you know, my, my, my cost per lead or my customer acquisition costs, which in my world is the cost per hire, right, or the cost per applicant. I look at my customer lifetime value. What will this customer bring me? I think companies will benefit a lot from not just looking at whether it cost me to bring this candidate in, or you know, um, what was this? What was the speed uh, at, at which I brought him in? But what was candidate actually um, delivering? What what will this hire make uh, the company? How do you think companies can do that? Because you've got a lot of marketers who are probably sitting around doing powerpoints or putting together 
know, basic emails at this at the moment, even based out of Excel. Mm. Um, the reality is the, the market needs to move from that 20 years ago, which we're still doing, to a talent first pipelining mentality. How or have you seen people do it effectively? Right, so it all starts with creating clear objectives. Where is the company going? And what impact will they have on our hiring needs? Then moving from that, you'll have to plan. You know, plan out what, what, what that means for, for the town. Obviously, there will still remain an ad hoc need, you know, due to sickness, people leaving, and that sort of yep. stuff. But if you just gather enough data, you know, over a course of a year or two years, especially if you're a big enough company, you should be able, not even using fancy stuff like predictive analytics or machine learning, you should be able to kind of predict, you know, what your ad hoc need will look like. But then after you've set your objective and you've, you've created your forecast, uh, then it's about understanding who you want to hire. So really understanding these candidate personas, these, these archetypes of the people that you want to hire. Um, that usually starts by looking in internally, who are your, not your top performers usually, because you know, the, 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 it's really hard to find new of the people that fit the very, very best. But look at the, you know, the steady group of people that, that, that are performing really well, that you're confident that you can hire more from if you just get, you know, be able to start a conversation with them. And uh, find out what makes them tick, you know, find out why they are working for you. That's, that's actually a good question to ask. Bit of a problem with that is, you know, th th it's been the trend over the last, um, let's say, 10 years in recruitment marketing. Recruitment marketing is fairly new, but it's been the trend to go internally, look at your current candidate personas or current workforce, create personas off the back of that, and then create content that they find attractive to then go and advertise that across various channels, uh, on and offline. And then uh, using a mix of really high quality content, that's the polished stuff that you definitely still need, you know, on your website and, and maybe on YouTube, etc. And also, which is um, unjustly called low quality content, but that's employee generated content, you know, the, the, the stuff that just made with a, with, a, with a smartphone or on a webcam. Advertising that around to fuel engagement and then having recruitment teams, you know, connect with these, with these people. I think that's the, that's the strategy. That, and that's a highly, highly effective strategy to build your town pipelines and town pools problem with that is that it might hurt your uh, diversity and inclusion strategy and that's the trend now and, and uh, if, if you look at some of the you know, some of the best companies with some of the best even uh, recruit marketing I think um, there's a beautiful campaign by Deloitte in Holland where they uh, created these little um, infographics of, of a candidate's life and what they like and then there's there's a video when these candidates come in and, and they love it, you know. I think it's like a second interview. Uh, the uh, potential recruiter or hiring manager is there, and they they see like a, like a, like a, um, a depiction of, of of their life, you know, of an embodiment of what what what's them symbolized in you know, drawings and 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 and, and um, different words on a on a big canvas. Uh, the problem with the with the with, with the commercial is, um, you know, it's, it's it's two white guys and two white women. Um, but then, to be fair, I, I haven't been to the Deloitte headquarters, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's a clear depiction of their current you know, top performers. Um, so if you want to increase your diversity, you will probably also have to go outside of your office and find out where you know, other people are that fit your skills, you know, required skill set, and find out what will accommodate them in a candidate journey that will connect them with you and possibly convert them into hires. I think that's the next step we as marketers will have to take.
I actually also wanted to talk to you about, we spoke about this last time on the phone when we chatted and marketing needs to expand in this industry. So we spoke about Virgin specifically mm. um, and you probably remember the example that you talked about and I'll let you go into it. But actually there is so much more available to our industry than we really realise. Marketing is the forefront of many other industries. You're talking about Virgin in terms of their retention and um, their talent pipelines, yeah. but also that was directly linked to was it their phone packages. I think it was some of the one of the packages. You know, uh, Graham Johnson uh, will be able to tell you more about this. That's a guy that, that came up with this idea. You so. love a name drop, don't you? <laughs> uh, well, I love to. Do, I, I don't want to sound like I'm the guy that, that, that thought about all this super profound stuff. I, 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 take the credit. I, I, I hope I can. Yeah, yeah. I, don't want, I don't want to take the credit, but. Um, so that's a guy who, who, who built this. But what they did is if you dropped off as a candidate, I think you received some kind of a discount on your current package because they were losing uh, a ton of money. I think it was in the millions of pounds on people that were so distorted about the fact that they weren't selected, uh, that they didn't like the, the, the candidate experience, that they switched providers. And then they flipped it around by, by offering discounts to people that weren't selected and they even turned it into a money-making machine. They're now uh, making a profit over the people that drop off during during the hiring, during the recruitment process, which, which is smart. I think there's way more ways to connect your um, you know, your business objectives with 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 your with your uh, recruitment marketing. I am not an advocate at all. Let me let me state that of creating the same type of narrative and the same type of branding for your employer brand as for your customer brand. Let, let, let's say your Bentley as an example, right? Your customer demographics are multimillionaires. So what will you be doing? You know, you'll be doing events, offline events on in Central Pay, you know, or or on the Bahamas, I don't know, you'll be doing some online marketing really targeted towards those demographics. I don't think many of the uh, mechanics at the Bentley factory can, can afford a Bentley. So your whole narrative can still be about the, the beautiful car for sure. But when you dig one level deeper, you know, the wants and needs of multimillionaires and, and the tone of voice probably should, will be a bit different for them than it will be for, for, for the mechanics. And I think that's where, where, where you can go wrong. If you, if you try to create too much of a vanilla recruitment brand, uh, marketing you know, uh, strategy or brand, you'll appeal to no one. So I, I think you should drill down in sub-brands. And if you're an international company, I think you should dr you, you should tailor your, 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 your local brands in different countries, obviously deriving from your overarching bank, you should tailor them to the local or department talent demographics. Another example I always give when people ask me, just walk into your IT department you know, and, and look at the general atmosphere, what people there are, have a conversation with a bunch of people, and then walk into your sales department and, and, and then and look me straight in the eye and tell me those are exactly the same cultures and people that, that have the same needs. And obviously, you know, that's not the case. So I don't think that... I think it's really important to tailor your communication and your, your brand towards the people that you're trying to uh, attract. Definitely. Employer branding is almost a new buzzword. Everybody's cottoned on to the fact that if you're not controlling that conversation online, somebody else already is. If you don't say what your culture is, share who you are from mm. that level with potential candidates, the audience that you're after, then somebody else will have gone online and either put a good or a bad review out. And if you don't counter that, it's their conversation, not yours. Well, you're sharing, you're, you're having a conversation anyway. Yeah. I think that's the best way to look at it. You are already sending out a message. If your career page is, 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 is shit, if your um, application process is, is, is terrible, if, you know, if, if a candidate has to jump through more hoops than an average circus animal, then you know, that's the message you're telling them. You're telling them that you're a really process-based organization you know, that, that, that doesn't care about the way it looks. So that, that's already a message. And yeah, if someone else just puts a little bit of effort into it, then, then they'll 
have a competitive advantage. What you just tapped upon, you, you just mentioned culture. I've been playing around with the thought and, and I can't finish you know, this thought because I've not yet decided for myself what my stance is about this. But most employer branding exercises still um, start with that, right? The, the, the who are we? What are our values? Almost really corporately, you know, what, what's our mission and what are our values? Uh, what are the key results that we you know, that we want to achieve and that sort of stuff? And how can talent contribute to that? And then we go out and we try to find people to whom these values appeal and they want to contribute to those results. I'm not sure. And, th and this is the only way that I've ever heard it, the approach or, or and even the way that I would have always said to, to start. But over the last, I think, few months, I've been thinking, b because I've been, been more and more involved in, in, in diversity and inclusion, we're also running an event. Drop that one quickly as well. Uh, September 12th, you're more than welcome as well, obviously, Victoria about this topic and I've been thinking if you force feed your values communicate your values if that if that's what you use as a talent attraction piece then you, you you close the door to a lot of people that might not have exactly the same values but might still be an incredibly valuable addition to your company to your business objectives I mean people can have completely different religious values for example but that doesn't mean that they can't coexist in a Again, in the software de department, right? And, and, and the same could go out uh, from a company perspective. So I've been thinking, that, you know, isn't there a way that we can, as, as recruitment marketers, can't we communicate into the market in a way that we invite people to bring their values into our company and then see if they can not assimilate into our culture or become part of our culture, but actually add to our culture? And it's quite a hard one, you know? How do you target that? How do, you, how do you target people with, with, with an online being? Because it's fairly easy to target people with similar behavior than the people that you can look at and uh, you know, research every day. So how do you target people that can make business impact for you, but don't necessarily share the same... The same values. Exactly the same values. You force feed almost your values into people, but when you're tr actually trying to just advertise them, the reality is it's not necessarily the values that's the leading point of your business, mm -hmm. but it's who you are as a as a collective. As a collective, yeah. And companies change, right? You can't deny that. You know, every, every company, every few years, every, well, I think there's even some, some literature around it. Here, I don't know that I'm for sure a fact, but, 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 but was it like 70 years or, 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 or there, there, there is some kind of a time that you, know, that, that, that you have to review and reflect on, well, we've chosen to go this direction. Is this the right one? And companies change their values. Companies change their, their mission statements. They, they change a lot of stuff. And, I'm, uh, and usually that's instigated by the people that are joining the company and you know, are drivers of, 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 um, of, that, of that change. So again, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether I'm saying something that's even unachievable, but I'm really interested in hearing what people think about, about this specific topic. Well, the now, culture of the teams are different. Sarah, who runs talent acquisition, doesn't know what the culture of the IT team is compared to the sales team, yeah. compared to the HR or talent acquisition department. All three will have different cultures and one person making a decision. Somebody has to make a decision, yes, but one person who picks the culture of their team mm. doesn't necessarily understand the culture of all the subdivisions of the rest of the, the, the business and potentially leading with your values yeah. isn't going to be a true representation of the business yeah. and the individuals that make it what it is. 100%. And again, this is this is quite a hard one because I'm not sure whether values and culture are that, that intertwined. You can have different cultures and still share the same values. That is possible. It's just a bit of a tricky one. And I'm all for closing the door on certain town demographics, you know, by saying no to 
a big chunk of your target audience. It just means that you can provide a more tailored message to the to the target audience that you want to attract. You know, if you, if you want to attract any software engineer, you'll spread out your marketing budget across all these different types of people with different type of online behavior. Um, it'll be really hard for you to to attract any talent if you're targeting suits and hoodies, for example. All <laughs> right. You usually need to make a choice, but then again, are the values of the company influenced more by, by the people attracted to the company, or is it the other way around, we, the way we've been doing it all, all this time right now? I'm still not sure. I'm not sure either. Do you find that the same kind of questions are raised within recruitment companies as well when it comes to employer branding, when it comes to recruitment marketing? When you look at the company I came from, uh, uh, USG, uh, and a subsidiary, subsidiary called Unique, they invested heavily in uh, recruitment marketing by training up their own what they call growth hackers, a whole team, to just try and hack social media, different channels, different approaches to attracting talent. Those subsidiaries were built around culture and brand. Yeah, that that's that's how they uh, that's how they built people up. People became that identity, lived and breathed those brands. So they, they did that really well. So that's why I've seen it work successfully. But now recently, because of the whole DNI discussion and seeing so many reports on that, you know, that diversity improves results. That company and, and Holland is 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 a very multi multi cultural cultural country. But you know, I remember of these companies, you could count. You know, in a company, of the, 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 I think the subsidiary had like 900 employees. You could count the people from a different ethnic background, especially the men, on maybe one hand. And if you, if you count the women into it as well, you, you, it'd be, it'd be you know, five hands, maybe 30, 50 people in the whole, in the whole company. And, and, that, and I mean, I've, I've, seen account, I've seen that countless times. There's, kind of, there's countless recruiters listening now. If they, if, they look at their, if they look at their own organization, it'll be predominantly uh, white, uh, predominantly the same religious background. I'm not sure how much that... Yeah, how much that applies for, for all recruitment companies, but I've seen that the same questions are probably raised there, yes. And that comes for when you are putting your brand out there. If you look at most companies, LinkedIn, because I've seen the same thing, LinkedIn, Instagram, when they're promoting their business, it is the same group of predominantly white, predominantly male industry, mm. when the reality is that across the entire industry, it probably is also more diverse than that. Then there's always a question of retention, but if you look at your attraction, yeah. and it is aimed at people from the same backgrounds, the same religions, the, the same um, minorities, they will be grouped together in agencies because you'll either you'll attract one or the other, you're not attracting a diverse group of people, yeah. which makes decision-making singular. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and, it's, and it's, it's a super interesting topic, I think, and uh, one that deserves attention because I, th I think we would all benefit if, if, if the, the, the companies leading the charge, you know, in, in the, the economic charge, would be a better reflection of our society. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not like the talent isn't there. I mean, we, I think we're 45 strong right now. Uh, over here, 13 or 14 different nationalities. Um, if you see, if you've seen the growth, and you've seen the ideas that come around that, um, you, yeah, you can see the effect. Um, and, and again, there have been countless studies that that prove the same thing. But I think us as marketers have been are a big reason. Obviously, it goes way back when there's different reasons. But right now, we are in control of creating more diverse candidate personas. And I think we've just been looking inside into organizations that weren't diverse and creating personas that that obviously aren't either. And then you know, having running successful campaigns, just contributing to the problem. And I'm not, I'm not sure even if it starts at our values or every company should add <laughs> diversity as a value. I, I don't know. Again, I, I don't know how to solve it. I know it's a, it's a really interesting topic. It is a really interesting topic. We come up against it every day, and I've definitely had that actually before in recruitment agencies um, and elsewhere. That using things like even the basics of using real imagery of your organisation becomes very difficult to do that if what you'll then reflect out is 
one persona of people when what you want is is diversity yeah and it is in some respects then having to be very critical about what you use about what you say and getting other people's opinions that's a lot of the reason why communication in this industry is so key that we do need to start talking to each other about where we're getting it wrong mm. because otherwise we are only going to get a better one agency at a time whereas if we get better as an industry at the same speed we will all be pushing upwards in terms of progression across the entire industry and not just in the UK but globally rather than one agency realizing a mistake moving taking a step forward and then the next agency doing it you're looking at 20 years of progression for something that could take an industry three or four years if we realize that communication yeah. between each other is actually that important fortunately for agencies right now there's a massive commercial incentive to do it as well because diversity I've haven't I haven't seen any company uh, with a where, where diversity and inclusion wasn't a subject, at least on the highest level in HR, but probably even uh, at the board. I've seen massive companies hire diversity and inclusion um, executives. These roles have been created, which I think is a good thing. Another thing that I think, that I believe is very important that, that we need to leverage more is data and analytics. Because we, as, as marketers, you know, we, we've been speak, speaking so much about opinions. We've been going into meetings and, and, and opinions have been flying around and, People with with, with with the coolest ideas, usually, you know, uh, or with the loudest mouths, like like me. <laughs> yeah. honestly, I can imagine you, it. Usually, 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 usually get get the upper hand in these discussions. But right now, we're living in a time where we can really shift our discussion from opinions to data. And then the second thing that we, I think we really need to do uh, as an industry, as recruitment marketing professionals, is stop overthinking so much and, and just doing, just getting the ball rolling and iterating. I think we should take a page from how software development teams build the products that we use on a daily basis, even all the marketing automation technology and advertising technology, all the technology. They work in sprints where they try something out, <laughs> build a minimal viable solution to, to, to validate their ideas, and then they look at the outcomes of these solutions to then make the next choice. And the thing that, that prevents is building something that no one wants. And if you look at sales and marketing for a long time, we have mistaken that because it takes some time to see the effect of marketing, uh, the, the true effect, you know, uh, that we have to, or that we can't make changes during the campaign. Uh, so if, if, you, if you start running an ad campaign, your applications, or well, I'm a bigger fan of your conversations go up, get more people that are interested in your company, but you find out all of them are coming from a similar town demographic, you're gonna need to, to wait the, the, the three or six months until the campaign is finished to draw that conclusion and make a change, then you can already use some of the, the budget that you've allocated or, um, or, or, or some, some of the, tweak some of the content strategy to see if that would help you uh, attract a different audience. I don't, I don't think that's been happening a lot. I think there's been a lot of, you know, especially with content. Content is the worst one. That's usually the, 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 the one that so many stakeholders need to have their opinion about. People that have nothing to do with marketing or talent attraction will have to say whether that Know, fits the company image and that, and that sort of stuff, not knowing that if you target well, anyone that shouldn't see the imagery um, can be excluded. I think we should just move faster and iterate faster. So we should plan ahead and we should take the time to run a campaign, but during it we should look at the data. And based on the data, we should, we should make smart and well-informed decisions, not just based on opinions. Also not just farm it out and walk away, but 
it's a continual process now it's not like putting a classified ad into the newspaper and waiting for emails responses but actually saying you you can't change it once it's printed now it's digital you can change it you can change the image you can change the text you can change the call to yeah. action you can change the targeting when you need to yeah and take ownership of that yeah i mean we possibly don't take ownership enough sometimes because burnout or whatever it is or disagreements when actually you can take that and disconnect and i think that's a that's a final um point i want to make when, when you look at um how marketing and sales of products and services has developed we went from separate marketing sales and customer success departments to what, what people in my profession usually call growth teams so people focus at a certain customer demographic consisting of depending how much you need from it marketers salespeople, and customer success people people that keep keep the customers in right so if i look at customer success for me um if i translate that to, to the world of employment that's hr those are the people that you know make sure that the candidate is happy that well-being is up the benefits are right career progression, learn, all of that sort of stuff. The recruiters for me are the salespeople of the, of, 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 of the employment industry. They sell career opportunities and jobs. They should be very well connected to the people that go into the jobs and get feedback on whether the job they were sold actually looks that way. Mm. So they are able to share a convincing story. And then needless to say, you know, where does that story start? Who puts that story on steroids? That's the marketers. So you see companies where they work together well, but in my opinion, the same way we have it in, 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 in marketing and sales of products and services where, where you even call you, you call it marketing sales and marketing combined you know in these growth teams i think we should have ta teams consisting of content people online advertising people the offline event specialists recruiters obviously people specialize in assessment and onboarding and even maybe hr people coming in on a uh, and, and coming together on, on on a regular basis to discuss what the effects of all of their combined efforts have been on the business, you know, on the business impact. And, and, and that's something that if you, again, if you look at the marketing and sales products and services, which is usually, you know, a few years ahead of what we're seeing usually in recruitment, right? Ahead, yeah. <laughs> Technologically, but also strategically, that's the biggest shift that I've seen. So right here, if, if, you, if you go into the office, you see that, that the creative agency, the marketing team, and the sales team are literally sitting next to each other. It's quite easy for us because we're in a startup, obviously we're quite close, but, that makes for, for really, really um, tight connections and, and collaboration. And if you look at you know, many of the companies, the companies that we support, usually that, that, that there isn't a big employer branding team. There's usually a specialist that has to liaise with other with the marketing team, with the recruitment team. But even if there is a team focused on that, uh, they're rarely sitting at the same table. And I really do believe that, that, that you, you should have growth teams uh, focused on different areas you want to attract. So growth team for IT, a growth team for sales, growth team for a recruitment team in this case, for um, graduates. If you all have all kinds of specialized one-off type of roles uh, that you would usually either outsource agencies because they're hard to spend a lot of time in filling, why don't you cluster those type of roles in, in, in one team that you can you know fully focus on that? I think that would be uh, also a, a major um, improvement in the way that, that marketing right now is, is supporting recruitment. Awesome. Stan, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. <laughs>